0: What keeps you going? What keeps you going when the going gets tough? What hope do you have today? Those are good questions to ask. Important questions. Thing is, none of us are exempt from hard things different burdens, trials, suffering, even the Lord's discipline at times in our lives. And I'd be lying to you if I just told you that following Jesus would be easy. No sweat, no tears. You know, we like stories of how God used suffering in the lives of people like Joseph or the Hebrew slaves or Paul. You know, it's nice to read about, isn't it? But when it's our turn, it's so easy for us to say, Lord, but why me? Why is this happening? And the Scriptures present to us a God who can take our questions. The whys and the how long Oh, Lord. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what God says we should do. When afflictions and trials seem to crush us like a heavy burden that is too hard to carry. What does God have to say about the trials that he allows in our lives? And about where hope is found. We're given help and hope in today's portion of God's word in Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 25 to 42. I would invite you to turn there to Lamentations chapter 3. Beginning in verse 25. And Jeremiah gives us three reasons to endure affliction with hope in the Lord not in ourselves. With hope in the Lord, not in ourselves. He reminds us of who God is. He reminds us of the Lord's great love, the Lord's perfect justice and his sovereign authority. And this is not abstract theology here. You know, uh, a list of what are the attributes of God? And we're talking about a real being here. God, our maker. We're talking about who he is, what he's like, how he relates to us. His people. And so this is immensely practical. Practical comes down to the question, will you trust Him? Will you trust this God who reveals Himself to us? Even in afflictions. This God of love and justice. This God sovereign over all. So we see first in these verses that we're urged to hope in God and then we are given a glimpse into the heart of God in the following verses but first we are to hope in God verses 25 to 27 the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that a man for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. In these verses, Jeremiah speaks to Judah. He declares that Yahweh, their God, is good to those that hope or that wait expectantly for him. They're longing for him to come, for him to save the poet is convinced that God really is good to His people. He really is good to those who trust in Him. So he urges the people of God to wait, to hope, or to trust in God alone. He speaks first of waiting. Waiting demonstrates dependence on God. Waiting is n- not taking matters into my own hands, as we're so prone to do. It's the opposite of self reliance to be told, wait. I think, I'm just reminded of when a child is stuck. You know, and they're trying to get out. And you as a parent tell them, wait, I'm coming. And, how, and they keep struggling a lot of the time. But what they need is their dad to come and pick them up. They need mom to come along and, and help them. And that's the way that we are. It's what it means to wait. To trust God. We're to wait for the Lord's salvation. For His help. Because he saves, not me, not you. We're also told in verse 26 to wait quietly or in some translations to wait patiently. Sometimes the Lord wants us to wait more than half a second, right? He wants us to be willing to endure something hard and trust Him through it. That amplifies this image of of trust. So when we do trust someone, we'll wait. Not only should we wait Not only should we not strive to save ourselves, but it's also good to endure (coughs) quietly, to endure in quiet surrender and trust. That's the opposite of loud complaints and angry outbursts. Now, God can take our our yelling and our grumbling. But true faith, true trust is willing to say, Lord, your will be done. To bear up under something quietly, even. To say, no, I'm not going to complain. I am going to thank the Lord in this. The other thing that we're told, the second thing that we're told is not only to wait, to wait patiently, to wait quietly. We're also told in verse 25 to seek or inquire of God. The soul who seeks Him God is good, to. What does it mean to seek God? It means to seek his will. It means to seek him for who he is. It means asking questions, but it means trusting him with the answers. And so to wait quietly doesn't mean oh, I don't say anything. I don't pray. No, it means to come to God. It Means to trust him. And seek his will. Both of these images teach us to rely on God. And not ourselves. So the seeking that we do is to seek him. And the waiting that we do is to trust him, even if as we're seeking him. It seems like it's taken a while for him to answer. These verses remind us that God wants us to trust him to save us, not to take it on ourselves. The third verse here. We're told a third we're given a third image. In verse 27, the man who is a stand in for Judah, if you remember. The man is told it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now, a yoke is a long wooden or or a metal bar. it's used to carry or to pull heavy burdens, would be placed on the shoulder of a person, usually a servant or a slave. Or in the case of animals, as we're from more familiar with in farming, the yoke would be placed over the two oxen, holding over their necks, holding them together so that they can pull, together under that that burden of the cart. Specifically in the case of Judah, that the heavy yoke of affliction they bore was due to their sin. We've seen that in the the previous two chapters. Judah has sinned and God is in the right for allowing them to experience the complete destruction of their their city and their fields and everything uh, that they they could have held on to and hoped in is gone. There's no vineyards left with fruit. There's, uh, you know, all the best cattle and sheep, they're gone. Okay, this is a this is the affliction, the the yoke that God put on His people at that time because of their sin. So they would turn back to God. Now, our suffering is not always caused by sin. I realize that. I want to be clear about that. But it can be. It can be the discipline of the Lord to allow us to experience different trials in our lives But whether because of our sin or because God desires to refine and test His people, God will often place His people under the weight of afflictions so that we would learn to trust Him and obey. So that we would learn to follow His lead. Or as we, as we learn from our Lord, uh, He is the one who will yoke Himself to us. If we will take His yoke, He will bear that burden. Matthew 11. But we have to learn to take that and to trust Him. To submit to Him even in suffering even when things are hard. And this, we're told, is best learned young. I suppose you could say it's it's better uh, late than never as well. But hard though it is, I don't wish that any of us would be exempt from suffering. Because that's what we need to grow in faith and hope and love to depend on God. That He will break us of our pride, of our self-reliance, to trust Him, to become more like Him. Our Lord Himself suffered, made perfect through suffering. He was already perfect, but He demonstrated His holiness by bearing the yoke of the God the Father that he placed on him. Bearing all of that. Not that he deserved one bit of it. So unlike us. And so if God should call any of us to, to bear up under some affliction. It's, it's a joy then. it is, um, It is a, it's a light thing, an easy thing as our lord said in Matthew 11 verse 30 to to follow him to submit to him whatever it might be verses 28 to 30 continue this image of this yoke that's placed upon Judah verse 28 Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. That's hard. That's not easy. Here we have this image of bearing the afflictions God places on us. And it's continued. We're reminded to sit in silence, to put our mouth to the dirt, to let our cheek be struck. These images silence, putting our mouth to the ground. Turning the cheek. They all imply willing submission. Surrender to God. Willingness to accept with joy what God puts in our lives. Willing service. Rather than complaining, rather than retaliating which we so often want to do i mean judah has been struck down by her enemies you think they didn't wish that they could grab a sword and fight back and god says take that striking take that pain Don't rely on yourselves. Do we submit to God like this in our lives? Do we submit to Him as though He knows best? Are we willing to take a beating for Jesus' sake? And humbly trust Him. These are hard questions. But they are good for us to ask ourselves. You know what? If you believe that though it's hard, that's what you want to do. You want to serve Him no matter what. Listen to this word of encouragement. Right in the middle there, verse 29, there may yet be hope. Or perhaps, there may be hope. The word perhaps reminds us this isn't the sort of thing that we just take for granted as though. God is beholden to us. You know, if I do X for God, He'll do Y for me. God isn't beholden to us. But, He does ordinarily act with compassion. This is not a a fantasy hope. But maybe one day, if you're good enough, God will give you the the carrot, you know. God isn't like that. There's real hope offered to the one who would trust Him in affliction. And it may not be in the time that we want. And it may not come in the way that we'd like. But there is hope in the Lord. But perhaps you're thinking, why should I? Why should I bear up under all this? How could I deserve any of this? This suffering, this trial. Why should I trust the Lord and believe His promises? Why should I believe there might be hope? Good question. The poet, foreseeing our tendency to question God, He knows our doubts. And the Lord offers us here three reasons to submit to God's will when He disciplines us. In the following verses, three reasons for hope in the Lord. The first reason is found in verses 31 to 33. Verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Reason number one. Why should you hope in the Lord under your your affliction, in your trouble? in your sin, and your weakness, the gracious heart of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, His kindness. Let that be the reason for you to hope. Jeremiah tells the people to bear up under the weight of affliction because God isn't going to cast them off or reject them forever. Instead, verse 32, though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance or the wealth of his steadfast love. Yes, God causes grief. Yes, he allows sorrows to overtake us, even to discipline his people. But the promise of God is that he will have compassion. And God is not stingy when it comes to his grace. He has a compassion that's in keeping with a love so abundant that it's more abundant than the sands on the seashore. It is, it is greater than all of the stars in the sky that we cannot count. His love is great. So great that he would in Christ purchase his chosen people with his own blood. That was the price that God was willing to pay in His love. That's who God is—a God rich in steadfast love, a God who offers grace to all who would receive it free of charge. He He calls out to the peoples, "Come to My kingdom." He sends out His servants. To all the highways and all the side streets. And he says, come. Receive. This grace of me. This gift. Of salvation. This is the the love of God. Let's remember that. Especially when we're struggling. We're not finished. In verse 33 comes one of the most comforting statements to me in all of Scripture. For He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. Or He does not afflict Willingly to grieve the children of men. Why will God have compassion? Why should he show compassion to us? For we've done nothing to deserve it. The answer is given here. Because he does not love to afflict people. Where he does not delight in causing sorrow in people's lives. When we read here the, the heart, that word can refer to the mind or emotions. It can also refer to the, the center of something. Like when we say, at the heart of the sea, in the heart of the ocean, or at the heart of the matter, We're talking about the central thrust of something. At the very center. So, what are we told of the Lord? In his heart. That he does not afflict willingly, he does not afflict from his heart. All the affliction the Lord caused Judah, all the terrible judgments that we've read about, destroying everything, all of that was not most characteristic of his heart towards his people. Do you believe that? This is astonishing. Because though God did humble them and He made them sorrowful and He grieved them, His heart, as it were, was not in it. Like a father that loves his child, doesn't want any harm to befall him, so is God towards all who hope in Him. Not because we are worthy, but simply because of his love to choose us. To choose a people for himself that he will set his love on. as a loving father, he does not wish that his children be grieved. But knowing what is best for his people, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, not, not some, every son that he receives. Hebrews 12:6. The love of God is manifest even in this that he will afflict at times he will discipline. Not because he loves to discipline. But because he loves you and I. And you say, but it doesn't feel like love. But the Lord says in his word. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, not pleasant, not joyous. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No, it doesn't always feel like love. But the Lord has a purpose in all of our trials. So whatever troubles you face, whatever mess that you've made, don't believe the lie that the Lord delights to pile on you a heavy burden of sorrows and pain. The Lord disciplines those He loves. And He does not afflict Willingly. He does so. Because he loves us that much. Though it pains him. That he will allow us to suffer. That we might turn by faith. And rely on him. Who is our righteousness. And our salvation. He does it so that we would trust him. So that we would become like our Lord Jesus who suffered according to the will of His Father out of love for God's people. So think about the Lord's love. Think of it daily. Think of it often. For it is knowing His love that will keep you in the hour of trial, knowing I can trust him. I know his heart towards me is love, although all I feel like is I'm being beaten up and bruised and broken. I know he loves me. I trust his word. Remember the Lord's law. The second reason is the Lord is a just judge. Let's move quickly through the, the next two reasons. Verse 34. To crush underfoot the, the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. What do we learn here of the Lord? We learn he is just. He doesn't tolerate or abide in justice. These verses could be a reference to Babylon's mistreatment of Judah. They're the ones who've been made prisoners and denied justice. Or it could perhaps refer to the unjust judges of Judah themselves who got Judah into this mess. Who brought judgment on on themselves. Either way, the poet wants you and I to see something. He wants to remind us that God sees. And does not approve. Of injustice. God is an uncaring. Or unaware of all the ways that we hate and abuse one another and hurt one another. And He's going to judge all of that. If you read the prophets, more than half of what they're saying is God will judge not only you, but all who continue on the path of rebellion. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So let God's justice also be a comfort to you. God isn't just lovey-dovey about sin. He treats it serious. And if we're sinned against, we can trust Him with that. He'll take care of it. So if you suffer and it's because of injustice, be encouraged. God sees that. He'll deal with it. Of course, God's justice is also a terror to those that continue on that path. But for those who trust God, we can depend on his justice because we know he'll do what is right. So remember the Lord's law. Think about his justice. And third, the third reason that we might hope in God is that the Lord is sovereign over all. Verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a mere man, about the punishment of his sins? So here we have three rhetorical questions. Now left it without answers because the answers are intended to be, to be obvious, to be clear. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless God commanded it? No one is the answer. God alone is the power to speak and things happen. We can see this. When we consider creation. Who of us can create? Bring something out of nothing. Only God, by his word, has the power to make things come into being, to make things happen simply with a word. That's true of creation. It's also true of history and it's true of salvation. The second question is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And the answer is yes. He has the final say over the good and the bad, the calamity and the blessing. The disaster. And the unexpected salvation. So we we read in Amos chapter three, verse six, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord has not done it. This is not to say that God commits evil acts. The question is, does God indeed have the final say? Over what happens in our lives. And the scripture's answer is yes. From his mouth come the good and the bad. And he has a purpose in it all. Third question. Why should a living man complain? A man about the punishment of his sins. We shouldn't. That's the answer. Who are we to complain? If God punishes us for our sins, that's what we deserve. As was the case for Judah. They didn't deserve God's mercy. He gave it because of His love. But He was completely just to allow that destruction to take place. It is true also that we don't have a right to complain even when God tests our faith, even when we suffer like Job. Who are we to question God? You have. At the end of Job, God coming down, declaring to Job, Who are you to to speak to me, to tell me what I should do or not do? Because whatever he does, he is in the right. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without the Father knowing. And not one sorrow befalls the Christian. The Lord doesn't know it. The Lord doesn't intend it for good, He always has a good purpose and even the most horrible of tragedies. Now we're given here a response in verses 40 to 42, and I'm going to really just let the word speak for themselves, for itself. The man, Judas, speaks up again and he says this. He's listened. He's heard the character of God. And this is what he says in response. Verse 40, let us test and examine our ways. Examine our life with care. And return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts, not only our hearts, but our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. In short, we're called to examine, to turn back. And to confess. This is the appropriate response. The heart of humility. Makes a daily habit of asking God to reveal our sin and forgive us. Turns to God in prayer. The Lord would have us come with both our heart and our hands. That is in our thoughts. And our actions. Because talk is cheap. But wholehearted prayer, genuine prayer from our hearts, that's gonna put the hands to the plow. To carry on faithfully serving God when when we don't have strength. And as we turn to God, we confess our sin, which is to name it for what it is, not playing word games but to acknowledge it. This is particularly the case when we know that some affliction comes upon us because of the Lord's discipline. We know I've sinned. But it is something that we ought to do every day. Coming to God. And seeking him. The poet ends. You have not forgiven. Which should not be taken to mean that God will not forgive. But rather as a statement that God had not yet forgiven them. Okay. Which is true. They had not yet turned back to him. They were still suffering and they would experience 70 years under the discipline of the Lord in Babylon before the Lord would bring them back. But he would bring them back. So it is good for us to acknowledge that we don't deserve forgiveness. You and I don't. We don't deserve it. But God is merciful. So let's remember His love. Remember that He is a just God. Remember that He's sovereign in the details of your very lives. That we're helpless without Him. But we can hope in Him. Christ bore the wrath of God so that we would know His compassion. So that we might die to sin and live by faith in Him. If you have not done so, turn to, to Christ. Submitted to Him. Willing to accept even His discipline. Today, there is time. Today, turn to Him. For whatever displeasure that He shows towards His children, it's for their good. It's for our good. So that we would flee from danger and find refuge in Christ. For the one that rejects the love of God, there's nothing that can relieve the torment of God's holy anger. Only Christ. But if we would but turn to Him, we would confess how desperate a sinner I am and trust Christ who died for our sin. And after being truly dead and buried for us, He rose again. And oh, there's life there and a place at the Lord's table and all the afflictions of today. They're as light as a little feather in comparison to the weight of that glory. If only we saw that when we walk under the weight of today's troubles. We saw His love. We see His justice and His sovereignty over all. It's revealed here to us in His Word. Let us trust that. Let us trust Him and hold on to Him. He is the one that we need a God we can depend on in any trouble, come what may. One who's immense in love. One who's perfect in justice. And sovereign over all. So let me close with this question. Do you trust Him, this God, a true and living God. Follow him and through fire and water and whatever happens, it will be well with your soul. Although it's hard, he's good. Trust him.